Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. And I'm Maddie Cassidy. And today it's just uh, the two of us and our awesome, fearless guest. Justin, unfortunately, was not able to join us for this recording, but that's all right. It's kind of been like a different combination of a, of a couple of us for each episode <laughs> lately, so... I hope you guys are enjoying the variety. We're keeping you on your toes. And uh, if you are wondering what I mean when I say our fearless guest, today we are speaking with a gentleman named Craig Fear from Fearless Eating. And he is a cookbook author. Well, he's published three books and he has a fourth book coming out. And three of those four are about soup. And he is he's a soup guy. He's, he came to talk about soup. And the book that he is, has coming out is called New England Soups from the Sea. So it's all about seafood soups, seafood chowder, and bisques, and stews. uh, stews. We get talking all about all of that stuff. So if you're like, what the heck is the difference between a bisque and a stew? We even get into that towards the end of the episode. So make sure to listen to the end. Exactly. If you'd think that we couldn't talk about soup for an hour, you were wrong. We got a full episode (laughs) out of this, and it's awesome. Uh, It was a great conversation. And I promise you, you will be hungry by the end. Absolutely. We ended a couple wars on here regarding seafood, so I'm proud of that. Uh, it's just a fun episode and I think you're going to enjoy it. But before we get into it, I want to remind you guys, like I always do, to please subscribe to Aquademia wherever you get your podcast to make sure that every time we come out with a new episode, it's automatically downloaded onto your phone, your tablet, your computer, wherever you listen so that you can listen to it whenever you want. And if you would like to keep in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter at Pod. And if you'd like to reach out to us, you have an episode idea, suggestion, guest suggestion, anything like that. You can get in touch with us at our website, globalseafood.org slash podcast. That's right. And remember, like I'm stealing this from Maddie. Usually this is Maddie's part. But uh, since you took Justin's, I'll take this one. Remember to please leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. Specifically, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it's really helpful for us to get those written reviews to help us get on some charts and get in more search results for people that are looking to learn about seafood. And then we're just going to grow this community and have more dialogue and solve more soup-related wars. So <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, just keep listening. You'll, you'll get it. So Craig has a book coming out March 8th called New England Soups of the Sea. You can pre-order it now or you can buy it once it comes out on March 8th. But we'll talk more about that throughout the episode. That's right. So enjoy our conversation with Craig and we'll talk to you at the end. Welcome to the Aquademia Podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. All right, so we're sitting down today with Craig Fear from Fearless Eating. How's it going, Craig? Thanks for joining us. Good, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. We're happy to have you. Craig reached out to us uh, because he is coming out with a new book this coming March. I think the date is March 8th. Is that correct? Yep, that's the date. And it's called New England Soups from the Sea. And so we're going to be talking about soup today because Craig is Craig is a soup guy. He, he uh, If you look, he's got, what do you got, three other books that are already out? Yep, three others, yes. And two of them are also soup cookbooks. Yeah, can you give us a rundown of the books that you have out and kind of and then and then I I want to get a little idea of kind of who you are, where you came from and how you ended up in this kind of this pretty niche uh, it's like a niche of a niche. Yeah, it's like a yeah. niche corner within uh the the cookbook and the and the 
the food community. So give it, give us a little history and talk about your books. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, the first book I wrote is called The 30-Day Heartburn Solution. So I started out as a nutritional therapist. I did this training program with the Nutritional Therapy Association back in 2007 and, um, and eight. And after uh, the program, I, um, I moved to Massachusetts, where I've been for about since then, um, working with clients around digestive health. And I wrote that book, 30 Day Heartburn Solution, um, I think 2012, 13. And after that, uh, a year or two later, I wrote my first soup cookbook called Fearless Broths and Soups. And then I may, maybe two years later, I, I wrote my second soup cookbook, third overall, called The Thai Soup Secret, which stemmed from kind of my travels uh, to Thailand. I've been, I've been to Thailand three times. And that's kind of really where my love of soup started, interestingly. Um, and maybe even seafood. Oh, that, was, that was probably more a little bit further back. Um, I lived in Alaska for a few years. Is there a lot of soup in Thailand or is it mostly like broth with noodles and... Oh my God, it's it's like such a soup culture, like all of Southeast Asia. And that's what I kind of like fell in love with the whole food culture. I went there for the first time in 2000, 2000 2001. I was living in Alaska for a few years and I um, I did one winter in Alaska. I was like, okay, that's enough. I'm, d- I'm done with Alaska winters. <laughs> So I went over to Thailand. Coming from a guy from New England too, like let's be serious. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That's no joke when a guy from Massachusetts is, says that. So it's really the oh, darkness. Man. It's, it's not crazy, the cold. The winters. It's the dark. No, you're right. I lived on the. Co- I lived in a town called Homer. Homer, Alaska. Mm. Great. That's such a magical place. Like the most beautiful, amazing place I've ever lived in my life. I could ever live. Um, but wait, the winters are just insane. They're nine months. Eight, nine months. So, and it's the darkness that it just gets to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so after the first winter, I went over to Thailand for the entire winter, like four months, traveled all over. And it was just like, it was just amazing to see this completely different food culture and food system than what I had grown up with and what we all, most of us grew up with in America. You know, you go, you go to the go to supermarkets and get your food. Whereas over there, it, it was just the food markets were just you know, they're every single day, they, they start like crack of dawn uh, in the cities and the villages, and they're just so vibrant and so alive. And there's such an incredible diversity and variety of fresh food, everything, vegetables, fruits, you know, meats, and of course, seafood too. And um, I tended to, in my travels, I've also been to um, Cambodia, um, Bali, Myanmar. I just love Southeast Asia. And I've kind of gravitated towards the coastal areas. And the seafood markets are just, they're just education. <laughs> they're just like mm-hmm. eye-opening to see the diversity of the seafood, um, the variety, and the way the local people embrace it and um, use all parts. You know, use the, when they go to get fish, the whole fish. They, they take the whole mm-hmm. fish home. Mm-hmm. They might have it filleted right there, but they're going to take the entire fish carcass home with them. And they're going to use the fish head in like a fish head curry, or they're going to use it in a fish wow. stock. And it's just, it's just, and, you know, it's very, it's very fresh. It's almost, it's so fresh. It's almost shocking because, you know, it's like, it's coming right off the boats and you see it like, you know, flopping around, swimming around. It's, um, and, it's and, so and you know, there's things gets. I saw that I don't know what the heck I was, I was seeing. There was just such an incredible diversity of things. Like, just like small fish, medium fish, huge fish, you know, every type of shellfish imaginable. And it's all embraced by the local people. That's so awesome. I can, so I kind of got off track a little bit and then, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no worries. <laughs> So eventually, I, I guess I brought all that experience. For. Yeah, I brought all that experience into my current, you know, my current project, uh, which is this book, New England Soups from the Sea. And I wanted to um, 
just shine the light on our seafood system a little bit and kind of get people to embrace a greater diversity of seafood and a more kind of think of it on a more local level and to appreciate also um, our seafood system here in the United States, how good it is. Because I'm sure you know, you listen to some of your episodes, you you do a good job of showing people just you know how perverse our system is where we, we where we export so much of this wonderful sustainable seafood with mm-hmm. all these you know regulations to keep it like healthy and keep our water clean and keep the stocks our fish stocks and our shellfish stocks you know sustainable and we ship so much of it overseas and we import it so much seafood from these you know questionable places um and we're eating all this cheap seafood and only all this wonderful seafood here so i wanted to show people like how much wonderful seafood we have here and you know, soup's my thing, and show. And I think so many people have um, hesitations around seafood, but soup is probably one of the easier things you can you can do with seafood. It's very um, much much more forgiving, let's say, than other preparations. So you know, you really can't. It's hard to overcook it. Um, so yeah, and that's my thing. I've just done so much with soups and stocks and bone broths from being a di- you know working with people with digestive health. Um, that I wanted to, you know, kind of expand what people think of seafood soups because it's very, you know, especially in New England, it's you know, when I told people I was doing a book on seafood soup in New England, a lot of people, you know, had this little, you know, pause like, oh, well, what is there besides chowder? Right. Yeah, it's only clam chowder, clam, right? Clam chowder and lobster <laughs> bits, right? What, what else is there? Those are the only <laughs> options for food in general in New England. People don't, people don't realize like, that. Well, if you go to a restaurant, that's that's all you're going to see yeah. on the, on the, for soup. It's you know as an appetizer. That's it. Ninety nine percent of restaurants clam so, chowder, lobster bisque. This is sparking a bunch of of questions from me uh, mm-hmm. that I want to get into. But first, I want to actually go back because we've spoken with a couple nutritionists and dietitians and stuff on the show, but I've never actually heard the term nutritional therapist. What differentiates someone as a nutritional therapist? Can you kind of just explain that real quick? Sure. Yeah. It's an independent organization, the Nutritional Therapy Association. Uh, If you Google nutritionaltherapy.com, I think, or org, I think it's .com, it'll take it to their page. And it's, uh, they started on the West Coast and basically one man started it out of a kind of, um, passion um, to to kind of train people in a more kind of um, holistic way of looking at nutrition, which is more of a, um, it's kind of more of like a farm to table approach and kind of what in the training, it was a one-year certification program. So it was not a university training program. And in that program, our, the approach to nutrition really kind of blew my mind open because I had very much, um, at that time, I was a vegetarian and I had um, had a kind of a, a somewhat of oversimplistic view of food and food systems, um, you know, thinking that all meat production is bad, all seafood is bad, you know, vegetarians better for health. Um, and when I did that training, program, my health had actually been suffering for a few years. And when I did that training program, it kind of expanded my awareness of what is what do we mean by sustainability. And, you know, there's, there's many ways to look at it, but we really looked at kind of food systems agricultural systems specifically, you know, really kind of pre-20th century, all around, like from indigenous systems of agriculture. And um, we studied this kind of guy named Weston Price, who did these amazing kind of travels around the world in the 1930s to look at these, you know, indigenous cultures and see what their diet was. And he found like a tremendous variety in diets, but they were all, if they were on their native diet, they were incredibly healthy. And so we learned in this program, not just a different kind of, um, we kind of learned about traditional foods, what are traditional foods, and how to kind of work with people one-on-one to help them with, our, you know, whatever their kind of issues are. So I kind of like uh, specialized in digestive health. 
And so one of those, you know, just to kind of tie it into this, one of those foods that I, I learned about was like bone, what we call in the health and wellness world, bone broths. Colin and I rolled them, I call them stocks, like chicken stock, chicken, mm -hmm. chicken broth. And I started using them with people with digestive problems. And there was almost universally like an incredible response when I started to, people started to consume those broths and stocks. So I think I got away a little bit from your question, but yeah, it's a one-year certification program through the Nutritional Therapy Association. Gotcha. No, that, that I just had never heard that term before. And I'm like, that. What, what's the, you know, what's the difference here? That's, that's, that's interesting. Um, where are you in Massachusetts? I'm actually landlocked in Massachusetts. I'm in Western Massachusetts. Okay. Uh, I'm currently living in beautiful. Southampton, Massachusetts. But yeah, it's, oh, it's Southampton, a beautiful yeah. area. Nice. That's so nice. I wish I lived. My one thing is I wish I lived a little closer to the water, but yeah. you know, you can't have everything. I grew up landlocked in New Hampshire, in uh, Ringe, New Hampshire, which is right over the border north of uh, Winchenden and then Gardner and mm -hmm. yep. uh, so Central Mass, north of Central okay. Mass. But I, I know, yeah. I know, I know where you are. I know the area. Yeah. yeah, very nice. All right, so let's talk about soup because you kind of walked us through where you're you found this passion for soups and broths and and all that. I, I want to know because when we spoke initially, you talked about how soup is kind of like an easier way to get into having more seafood, right? Mm -hmm. So I want to start from the beginning, just soups in general, because if you're not really someone who is like into cooking or it's not a hobby of yours or an interest, but you want to get a little bit more diverse, what, what are some ingredients that people should have just in their kitchen all the time if they say, you know, oh, I, I found this recipe. I want to make a soup. What's what should they have on hand, ready to go? Well, um, it kind of depends on what recipe kind of you're you're making, but like uh, just some like general thing. Like, so what I love about soups is that they're very um, forgiving. Like, it's hard to like <laughs> screw up a soup. <laughs> yes, you can oversalt <laughs> it, but like that's why you you don't you start slow, and, and you always can like taste things. You can always like okay, and that's what I try to show people in the book. Is like okay, here's where you start with this much. A little bit of salt, or this is, you start with this much cream for the chowder, and then you taste it. And if you want more, you adjust, you adjust it at the end, like how, whatever you like. We all have different taste buds, so they're very versatile. Um, but you know, a lot of soups start with just like you know simmering some uh, you know onions or garlic and a little olive oil or butter. Um, and then like the the big thing and a, a big ingredient and in what I really wanted to push in my book was the broth or the stock that you're going to use. And I try to encourage people to learn how to make their own stocks and broths, seafood stocks and broths, um, for a number of reasons. Number one, they're more nutritious than kind of store-bought stuff. Um, and they, the flavor they give to soups is, is really like what kind of elevates them to kind of like elevates them beyond just like, you know, like you, you, as I say in the introduction to my book, you, you can make a lot of these recipes with store-bought broths and stocks, but like it goes to another level when you make your own kind of stocks and when you do it yourself. Mm -hmm. um, it kind of just like really stirs the soul and like, oh, you know, it just hits that level where you're just like, oh my God, is that delicious, you know? <laughs> um, but I do give people the option in the book for like, um, you know, um, substitutes or shortcuts if you don't want to make your own, you know, fish stock. I know that not everyone's going to want to like go to the, go to the fishmonger and work with whole fish, even though it's the best way to make fish stock and it's, you can make an amazing stock with fish carcasses but there are some like things you, you can use like bottled clam broth and dilute it or you can you can use chicken stock for like it is a, a suitable substitute for some kind of recipes um so there are things you can do if you don't want to make your own stocks and broth but i really encourage people to like learn how to do it it's it's very simple 
Um, and it's really rewarding when you make it yourself. So you got like, you know, some basic vegetables, some, some different herbs and spices, like your basic kind of herbs and spices that I think most people would have, or you know, you have different kind of Italian herbs, basil or thyme or dried versions of those. Um, I have a you know, big Portuguese component in the book. So some of those kind of Portuguese spices like cumin and um, coriander um, are, are, are great to have around. Um, so yeah, yeah, I mean, every recipe is different. <laughs> every, like there's different things. Right, right. So it kind of just depends on the recipe, but nothing's like, I don't do anything too exotic or anything crazy, you know, in the book where I feel like, oh God, I, I don't know where to get that. Or I wouldn't be able to find that at my, you know, local market. Yeah. So I imagine, you know, grow, I grew up in New England. So when, when I'm looking at, when you say New England soups, I, I'm, I'm picturing the stuff that I grew up eating, which was not a lot of kind of exotic and crazy and out there flavors yeah. and spices and stuff. So I imagine that it would be for someone like me who lives in New England, I would probably be ready to, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, try anything. Yeah, I'd be able to try any of these pretty, pretty easily, I, I would imagine. So let's get into what's in this book, because it is very specific. There are people we have listeners in India and Latin America and Southeast Asia and Australia, all over the world, everywhere except Antarctica. Um, <laughs> Got to put that plug in we're, there. We're working. We're still working on it. I'm gonna make it happen one day. <laughs> what can those people expect from uh, a book about soups from New England if they're not familiar with the seafood that we have here? Yeah, my message in the book is that you know I I think the most the best the most sustainable way to kind of look at seafood is to, is to is to access and use you know, as local to you as possible. And the cool thing about, you know, it has the least fo carbon footprint, um, supports kind of, you know, local, um, you know, fishermen's local fishing economies. And so I think that, um, you know, well, the great thing about soups and, and kind of the message I have in it is that, you know, let's, let's, let's take fish, for example, you know, white fish. I, I kind of go, I, in the beginning chapters, I go through all like the different kind of choices you have in New England for different kind of, you know, local fish beyond... Mm -hmm. Kind of just show people like there's a lot more to fish in New England than, you know, cod and haddock. Right. Uh, and I go through the different shellfish options. Um, but the cool thing is that like so many of these, they're so interchangeable in soup recipes. And I have a little chart in there like for people, you know, outside New England or, you know, around the United, different areas of the United States. Okay, if you don't have, you know, here's other options, which, you know, probably more familiar to you than me, even to me. Like here's other options you can use in these recipes. If you're on the West Coast, if you're on the Southeast, if you're living near, you know, the Gulf of Mexico. That's so, so helpful. So many of these recipes, I mean, I, I encourage people, I want people to think locally and, and say like, use whatever is local to you. It's, 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 it's mm -hmm. still going to be delicious, you know? And so if it's a white fish, like a lean white fish, try a lean white fish near you. If it's an oily, more oily, full flavored fish, whatever's local to you and you can kind of substitute them in the recipes interesting maddie did you have i i feel like i've been kind of taking over do you have anything that you want to well i think i would like to just hear about more about you craig and how you first got interested in seafood specifically like does that come from your nutritional background or is that like something from childhood like what about seafood made you want to start writing books about it? Yeah, definitely not childhood. Uh, I grew up, I actually grew up on the north shore of Long Island, actually very close to the water. But uh, like I grew up, I'm 47 now, so I was born in 74, grew up in the, you know, mostly in the 80s. And, you know, my parents, I just, like everyone else in the suburbs, you just went to the supermarket. There was really like no local mm -hmm. seafood economy. And I never remember having any fish other than flounder when I was a kid. That's what my mom cooked. I never flounder. really liked it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it was, you know, that's all about. And 
like, you know, but I had a lot of like, you know, canned clam chowder and fish sticks and all that, mm-hmm. you know, kind of processed stuff. Right, right. And then somewhere, I don't know, somewhere after college, I just started really enjoying and liking seafood more. But, but where it really took off for me was when I lived, lived in Alaska. That was like, okay, I love seafood now. This <laughs> is like another level. This of, is my thing. <laughs> and I worked in a seafood restaurant for the entire time I was there. So I just learned oh, a lot wow. about that. Oh, you got to try a lot of different things too, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the halibut, um, of course, the king crab. <laughs> The salmon, those are the three big ones. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I tried everything. So that's where I think it, my love of seafood really, really kind of took off. And then, I, you know, just my travels in Southeast Asia, um, I just kind of wound up on a lot of coastal areas and just saw the diversity of different things. And, you know, you go to, you wind up in a coastal area, they're, they're grilling and barbecuing like fresh whole fish on the beach every night. It's just look at these amazing like curries and sauces. It's, it's just, yeah, so it ex- kind of went further there. And then just being in New England, um, I've just been here for like 15 years and just love the local seafood. I go out to Cape Cod multiple times every summer and just eat as much as I possibly can. And <laughs> just my love of like soup and broth and like good like soup, real fish stock or like clam broth. It just is just my favorite. So that that's actually really funny. That That makes me think of something that I'd love to get your perspective on. So people from other parts of the world may not understand like the chowder wars in America. (laughs) Um, For those of you that don't know what's going on here, there's a number of different types of specifically clam chowder in in the U S especially in the Northeast that people will literally fight to the death (laughs) about. And and there's new England clam chowder. There's Rhode Island clam chowder, which is weird because Rhode Island's in new England. Uh, And then there's New York clam chowder, right? And this, those are kind of the three big ones that I know of that I always hear about. Can you discuss from your point of view, for, as a soup guy, uh, what, what is your take on this chowder war? Where do you stand? Do we need to fight? And can you kind of paint a picture of this for people that, that may not understand what this is all about? I have this theory. I don't know if it's true. I have this theory that um, this kind of is, is rooted, this, this kind of regional war is rooted in Babe Ruth. That's Okay. Theory. All right. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm listening. Interesting. If you, yeah. If you look at the history of chowder... It's really interesting. It, it, it was never, it never got contentious until really maybe after World War II, it really got crazy, but even the roots of it were before there. But if you look at like some old cookbooks and stuff, like around early 20, like first part of the 20th century, late 19th century, there's, to, there's tomato, there's, there's recipes for tomatoes and chowder. And it's not like, there's no mention of this being some, you know, regional thing. Mm-hmm. You know, there certainly was, mm-hmm. um, you know, the tomato-based chowders, certainly got, I think, more established in Manhattan. And there's people think maybe it was the Italian immigrants or the Portuguese immigrants um, that kind of started with them. It's kind of a cloudy history. No, 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 exactly. No, sure. But somewhere in the middle 20th century, like the, the creamy clam chowder became like New England. This is New England now. Mm-hmm. And it became more established in New England. I have this feeling it was just like, you know, the, the, the trade from Babe with Babe Ruth, I'm a bit of a baseball fan. So, you know, kind of like started the Yankee dynasty and it kind of became more of a regional like New York versus Boston because of that. And I mm-hmm. think that's where it kind of started and like, okay, we're Boston. Okay, we're New York. This is ours. No, this is ours. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just a theory. But it kind of really didn't heat up until the middle of the 20th century. And certainly there is like more, you know, there, that's become, become like New England's kind of most iconic dish. But the creamy mm-hmm. kind of thing... It's interesting when you look back, this creamy like clam chowder, it really didn't, um, it really didn't like, uh, there's this great book 
50 Chowders by Jasper White. He's a kind of famous New England chef. And he has this great term to, to d- describe what happened with chowder in the 20th century. And he calls it like, he calls it in the second half of the 20th century, he calls it the Howard Johnsonization effect. I love that term. Basically what he says is like Howard Johnson's was a, you know, one of these kind of like um, uh, franchises that kind of introduced, brought kind of chowder to the masses. But of course they homogenized it and they standardized it. They didn't have any like a little regional, they didn't have any mm-hmm. variations in, you know, the Howard Johnson's wherever in Iowa versus, you know, Boston. So it was like kind of this really thick and creamy thing and almost maybe too thick and creamy. And that kind of became associated as like New England clam chowder. But in the book, I, I try to show people, you don't like, I don't think that's really like, I don't like it. Most like, purists, like chowder purists from like New England, they, they'll, they'll say like, don't put too much, a little bit of flour is okay. But you don't have to like, don't overdo it because it'll skewer like the real flavor of the clam and the clam broth. And even in Maine, they have a little kind of regional variation too, where they, they, they don't really do much with the flour. It's more of a thinner kind of brothier. Well, that's the, you know, I went to college in Rhode Island and I grew up in New Hampshire, like I said. So my, all my experiences with clam chowder was that thick, you know, mm. you stick the spoon in and it stays in yeah. place, you know, the thick if you go if you go to Faneuil Hall in Boston and you get a, a bowl of clam chowder, it's going to be really really thick. It's going to be in a bread bowl and it's going to be delicious. But you're right; it doesn't have as much of the seafood flavor because it is masked by the the creaminess and it's also full right. of potatoes and vegetables and a bunch of other stuff. Right. And so when I went to college in Rhode Island, and I got a, a cup of clam chowder and it was very thin. It was like a, a water based mm-hmm. broth. It was not creamy. It was white, but it was very very thin and yep. i was like what the hell is this what is this yeah. and yeah. uh i the only reason to this day that i would ever get rhode island style clam chowder is to dip doughboys in or dip clam clam cakes right. in you know you go to go to right. iggy's down in narragansett and you, you get a bunch of clam cakes and dip them in use that as a dipping sauce more than a soup because it's just too thin for me because it's not what i, right. what I grew yeah. up but it's well, really interesting you know people think around here you, you think of Manhattan clam chowder and like that's the orange one that's the one with the tomato and it to me it's not even clam chowder because of what I grew up knowing so it's just it's it's fascinating it's a really interesting little cultural thing that we have going on here in the northeast of America and I love that you were just so fully prepared to answer that question because For the listeners, well, I, I didn't. Want, I, just I didn't tell him this like was that. gonna come up, but like this, it's no, just no, like, I, nothing has been pre. pre I didn't know what was, you were gonna ask me. He was so <laughs> ready with that answer. I imagine people have talked to you about that before. <laughs> well, but what maybe I didn't want to say just to clarify, like you know, what's my favorite? My favorite growing up was New England by a mile. But mm-hmm. as I've kind of like eaten more and more chowders and eaten all these different styles, my message in the book and what I really honestly will say, like I don't have a favorite anymore. Like as long as you use like fresh whole clams, like fresh cohogs, mm-hmm. and steam them yourself and make your own clam broth. Like that's the key. That's the that's the essential thing. Everything else is just personal preference. Like if you do that thing, your, your chowders are going to be so delicious and so much better than what you can get in most restaurants because they take a lot of shortcuts in restaurants. Mm-hmm. And like I, I don't really get chowder much in restaurants anymore because I'm always like disappointed. I'm always like, yeah, you know, it's okay. It's uh, Yeah, you got to find like that one small family-owned local seafood restaurant that's like, you know, hanging over yeah. the edge of a cliff with the ocean right next to it. You know, like those, those <laughs> are the those are the places, right? <laughs> I'll tell you the, the best place I've ever had, Dune Brothers in Providence, Rhode Island. Oh my God. Dune Brothers, where's that? It right. It's like a little shack. Like I don't, it's probably only open in the huh. summer in the warm months. It's a little shack in downtown Providence. Hmm. Uh, oh man, they, they, that they got it That is great to know. Yeah, they, yeah. they know I what they're I think I'm taking a trip down to Providence next summer. <laughs> Tell them I sent you. 
Okay, so I have another question for you, Craig. One thing that's come up a few times in our conversation so far is using the whole fish in seafood recipes. And that's something that I've noticed has like been in the media a little bit more recently is talking about lessening fish waste because in a lot of diets around the world, people don't prioritize using the whole fish. So what is your recommendation to someone who's interested in the idea of trying to use more of their fish when cooking with seafood and how can they try to lessen their waste? Well, this is where soups come in. This is where like why soup would be great. Like if you are, you know, hesitant to use whole fish, you know, I don't, I don't think anyone, if they're have never done it before, are probably going to start by roasting a whole fish and eating the fish head. I, I mean, it's, it's delicious, I will say. I, 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 the fish head is amazing. But I just I'm sure there's of... plenty of people that are ready to dive in head first, literally. So, <laughs> ah, good one. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, if you're hesitant and you're, you've never resist. done it before, well, making a whole, you know, using the carcass of the whole fish for a fish stock, so you're not eating, you're not consuming any part of that whole fish, is a great, that's a good, you know, you get your feet wet, so to speak. That's, that's where you, that's a good place to start. And so, How do you do like, that though? Like, do you just like take the rest, like fillet the fish, and then whatever's left over, you throw it in a pot of water and let it like simmer for a certain amount of time? Like, how do you make fish stock? I don't know. I don't yeah, know anything about there's, it. There's two two ways to do it. I have two recipes which are very similar, just two basic kind of approaches. Uh, which I, one was I called a basic fish stock, which is almost exactly like making a chicken stock. The same idea. You just put uh, the you know once you've filleted it, and typically we're not even filleting fish at home. We're just going to the the you know you get. People will ask me, well, where do you get these fish carcasses? Because I can't even get full fish in the, in the store. You just go to your fishmonger and put a request in for, do you have any whole fish carcasses? They're, they're usually at some point, some point during the week, they're going to have them. They'll reserve them for you and you can get a few. Um, and then the, a basic fish stock is uh, you're just putting that whole thing in water with your, mir, you know, your what they call your mirepoix of vegetables, your carrots, onions, celery. Um, and you're just kind of simmering it. And now with fish, you, want to, you don't want to simmer it more than an hour. Um, and you're just simmering it for an hour in water. And that's going to um, give a very kind of like kind of delicate kind of fish kind of ocean essence. It's not going to be overly fishy. Again, we're not cooking this for like three, four plus hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to give a very nice kind of like fish flavor. And then there's a robust method, which I prefer that method, which gives a slightly kind of stronger flavor to your fish stock, which is you simmer, um, you cut the veggies really, you dice them fine, you simmer them in some butter or oil first, add a little white wine, and then you add the fish carcasses and cover it for like maybe 10, 15 minutes. And that's called sweating. It'll get the juices out of the fish. After that, then you add the water and you simmer it for another 30, 40 minutes. And that creates like a little bit more of a pronounced fish flavor mm. but both are very similar and um you know both are a great way to use to start with whole fish use a whole fish a whole carcass very simple very easy and the cool thing about them is they're you know they're very it's cheap it's it's like a lot of these fish mongers will just they'll just you know they'll give you these fish like they have no market for them. people are right, and, I, and so. I know like at your local grocery store like if i go to market basket here in new hampshire they do sell frozen whole fish it's not mm-hmm. the first thing you see in in the you know in the display case when you go there. You kind of have to go off to the side a little bit, but they do sell whole whole fish frozen. And we've talked about frozen fish uh, in some cases, especially here in the U.S. when you're inland a little bit. Sometimes frozen fish is a better choice because it's more fresh than the fresh fish you get from the case anyway. Mm-hmm. So like that's mm-hmm. not a bad choice either. You can get I have seen bags yep. of full 
whole tilapia frozen in the case so like you can get that yep. stuff here too so that's also yep. an, an option if you if you're a little afraid to go into your grocery store or go to some a local market and say hey do you have any carcasses that might <laughs> yeah. make some people uncomfortable so if you want if you'd rather just do that that's an option too <laughs> sure yep definitely so let's oh, oh before we get into uh, a little bit more about the book and how people can get it and stuff like that Justin wanted me to make sure he asked. He he said he had one question um, that he wanted to ask you, and and it's about flavor, um, because he is he he and I think Maddie and myself are, are similar too. But Justin is very particular about about flavor and uh, what he chooses to eat, and and he's he was curious how making a soup with seafood changes the flavor of it, and how you can either preserve or change or get rid of some of the really strong fishy flavors. Like what? How does making a soup from it change the flavor of the fish as opposed to, you know, sauteing or broiling or roasting or something like that? Um, that's interesting. No one really ever asked me that question. I, I never, like, I, it just, I guess it depends on, you know, the type of fish you use is going to kind of like be kind of, well, that's what the character of the soup will be. So if you mm-hmm. want a lean, mild white fish that you're going to be using in kind of like a fish soup or a chowder, it'll be a little bit more on the kind of milder side. And then the kind of everything else you're going to add in after that, of course, is going to well, determine you know, certain spices and herbs, citrus, wine, you know, liquor or liqueur or something like that um, will kind of certainly kind of, you know, affect the flavor. An oily kind of fish, like a bluefish or a salmon is going to have like a stronger flavor. And I think it's also where the stock comes in as well. That's going to mm-hmm. um, kind of determine like kind of the brininess, you know, the, the whether it's like a really kind of a full flavor, kind of pronounced flavor of the sea, which you know, I love, I, I always seek out more full flavored, you know, if you're going to use like shellfish in a soup, like if you're going to use little neck clams or mussels, the liquors inside are going to, when they open in the broth, they're going to like infuse that soup with even more flavor. That's why my, I, my favorite recipes with seafood are actually stews that use a, like a multiple types of seafood. Um, mm-hmm. So that's going to get a more of a pronounced uh, seafood flavor. So it kind of just, and it just depends on kind of the recipe, like, you know, um, you know, like say a chowder, a fish chowder. If you, once you add in in the cream, it's going to like tone down that kind of flavor of the fish stock a little bit where if like, you know, for example, we were talking about uh, the Rhode Island chowder. That's a very bold, I mean, it's the briniest, boldest chowder out there. It it does kind of taste like the ocean. But if you don't like that. All Most right, of Rhode Island gonna... tastes like the ocean, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just the state, period. Just in general. <laughs> fishy place. The air. <laughs> so I, th- I, so I don't, did I I don't know your question this... all right. Did I answer that well? Yeah, so sure it almost seems like it's more, it's less of like what does cooking in soup do to the flavor of the fish, but more what does the specific species of fish do yeah, what to do you, the flavor yeah. of the soup. So, Justin, you're, you're, asking the, you're asking the wrong question. You got to switch it around. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Like, for example, like another example would be lobster bisque. You know, I say like lobster, it's, it's like the essence of lobster bisque really isn't lobster. It's the lobster stock. That's the key. Right. Mm. Yeah. So it that's actually what I wanted to ask more you. It's like so, lobster than lobster itself. Right. So, so the difference is, let, let, let's just discuss real quick the differences between a, a stew and a chowder and a bisque because those are... You know, for, for someone who has never really ventured into this this world of soups, I mean, they, they may not have... A, a grass so they may think that soup is whatever you get in the campbell's can so right <laughs> yeah yeah there's different styles you know like so there uh I, in, in my book i have five chapters on different styles of seafood soup um really four um but but i start out with chowders obviously because that's the most you know well-known the most mm-hmm. popular 
in a way they're like very stew like because you know the potatoes and onions and bacon and the and the and the fish or shellfish but they're the kind of their own thing because they're you know they're the unique in like in what they are which is like onions potatoes you know fish or shellfish you know usually typically some cream it's like a comfort um, food soup bacon or salt pork yeah <laughs> so that's kind of like a very specific type of soup and then bisques are like a you know typically they're pureed so they're a bit you know creamier um um you know, lobster bisque is obviously the most famous, you mm-hmm. know, common one. But you can make a bisque from almost any type of, you know, seafood, other types of um, uh, shellfish. So lo- I love lobster bisque, but it's actually a little bit one of the more complicated recipes in the book because you got to make your lobster stock first. But you can actually, one of the easiest things to do is make bisque from clams or mussels because you don't have to make this amazing stock. Uh, you can actually just steam your mussels or your clams and you get the broth and it's very strong flavored broth so that it can actually make a nice kind of base for your bisque. Um, and then I have a chapter on brothy soups, which are kind of like they're kind of like where there's a little bit less, uh, they're a little more vague, but but like just like you're using more of a broth base and using different kind of, um, there's a little bit more creativity there. So a lot of these recipes in that chapter are um, things I kind of created. Um <laughs> But there's so they're not as standardized as say chowder or bisque. So there's a little bit less room for people to get angry at you because hey, this is <laughs> not the way. I, this is not the way. You know, my mom did it. My grandfather. This, you know, um, and then there's stews. You know, different kind of stews from I draw on different traditions, um, specifically in New England. But mostly I looked at the Portuguese tradition within the stews because of the uh, there's a strong Portuguese kind of component to the south coast of New England, and they have just some phenomenal seafood down there and they just do some amazing amazing things with stews and they're not quite as known as like other other regions around new england it's kind of like a new england portuguese fusion what what makes Um, something a stew versus like a chowder it's you know it's just a little bit uh thicker again a chowder is very stew like a lot of these things are (laughs) there's gray areas and what's a soup a stew you know brothier thing um, but typically like a stew will have multiple types of seafood, multiple types of vegetables be a little bit, you know, a little bit chunkier and, and heartier. Interesting. Good but stuff. some are very broth-like, like bouillabaisse is typically a little bit more broth-like. So it, it's, it's kind of all over the map. Well, I'll tell you what, if you want to learn more and really figure this out, you got to read the book. <laughs> you can't read it yet if you're listening to this when this episode comes out, but you will be able to read it very soon. I want to talk about the book, Craig. Tell us what the response has been so far. I know it hasn't been released yet. But I'm sure you've had some critics that have reviewed it or something, uh, something like that. And when is it coming out? How can people get it? Where can they find paths to it? And then how excited should they be? They should be very excited. Let's be honest. Yeah, they should be ecstatic. Bouncing off the walls. (laughs) For sure. Uh, Yeah, it's coming out March 8th and it's available now for pre-order. So um, it's on all the major book sites, you know, whichever you want to get it from. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Apple Books. Uh, you can go to my site, fearlesseating.net, and you'll see a link for the book. And you can just you know click on any of the um, options and in pre-order. And I'll say if, if if you pre-order, pre-orders are actually very helpful. I've just learned this. This is my first traditionally published book through a publisher. I had the book for self-published, so I've learned that um, pre-orders are really helpful. So if you think you might buy it, I would really appreciate a pre-order. Because uh, it tells booksellers that there's an interest and they're more likely to, to stock the book. Yeah, for um, sure. You know what? I, I like to ask people this, but I've had a couple people here that, that actually have published books. What is the best place for people to pre-order your book that will get you the most benefit? It doesn't matter. where It doesn't matter? Because yeah, I know some matter. some places take certain percentages and, and pay the author different 
different prices. So I just, I want to make sure that you're getting as much benefit, uh, not just monetarily, but also from like, you know, like you said, which retailers are being shown that there's a, a, you know, interest. Is there a preference for you? It's all the same price everywhere. It doesn't, it doesn't like wherever you want to to purchase it. It's fine by me. All right. <laughs> Whichever cool. easier for you. Yeah. So yeah, it's, and it's out March 8th and you know, I've, I've, I've had some great responses from it. Um, and I, you know, it's really unique. It's the first book that's ever been done on just the seafood soups of New England. It's, and, it's definitely um, a niche really within a niche. To, You're right. Yeah. I'm just trying <laughs> to show people there's so much more than lob, lobster biscuit and clam chowder. There's 80 recipes um, wow. for all different sorts of regional styles. And, you know, some are in the traditional realm, some are like in the nostalgic realm, like oyster stew, like the people used to make that maybe have kind of faded away, but show people how easy it is to make. Mm-hmm. And some are, you know, a little bit more creative things that I kind of made up. Um, but there's a little bit of something uh, for everyone in there. What's your favorite in there? Well, what, two, two part question. What's your favorite in the book, your favorite recipe in the book? And then what's your favorite overall soup recipe? I feel like asking him what his favorite in the book is like asking which year is your favorite child? Yeah, that's kind of like, yeah. I really, I love them all. I mean, that's kind of a lame answer, but if I could be really specific, I'll give you a, just, I'll give you two. I'll give you two. I'll take it. I love the Portuguese chowder. This is, it, it's, it's so unique and different. It's, it's, uh, it uses kind of the Portuguese uh, chorice, um or linguiça, their classic sausages. And it's a little bit more of a mm. stew actually than it's, it, 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 but it, it's, Uses little neck clams and green peppers and, and a little bit has some zest and spice and it's very unique and um, it's tomato based but it's nothing like if you're a New Englander who's like I do not like, you know, <laughs> anti tomato the Portuguese is different it's not Manhattan at all it's it's really phenomenal and it's just a, a zestier take on chowder that's really interesting. Well, now and we then, know that that hate that New England hate for to the tomato based really just stems from baseball, so it's not really. A, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's fake. <laughs> right. right, there's no like, there's no, there's no Babe Ruth history with Portuguese. So just listen. If you're, since, if you're suspicious of that, just go with the Portuguese. Since one. the Red Sox won in 2004, no <laughs> one is allowed to use the the baseball thing as a base for any kind of hate anymore. So yeah, right. It's all in the past. Yeah, it's, it's all, all in the past. Just yeah, move We're on. One people. big happy family. Now move on, Boston. Boston right. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other recipe I'll just point out is. Um, the, the, I created, I tried it, it, to create a new regional style of chowder, my attempt for Connecticut, because it's the only like state in New England with a significant coastline that really doesn't have its own chowder. So I actually created a new, a Connecticut clam chowder, which I'm really proud of. It's actually inspired from a Long Island chowder. There's a whole story to this. I, I, I probably should keep it brief, but basically it's, Please share it's it. a Please share fusion it. between Manhattan and New England. And it sounds really weird. Um, but I found this recipe online or, or this Long Island chowder online. And having grown up on Long Island, I was like, there's no, what are you talking, Long Island? I've never heard of this thing. <laughs> and I actually found, uh, my parents still, where I grew up, still live on Long Island. It was actually a restaurant that was serving it. When I found it, I'm like, I'm going to go and try this Long Island chowder. And it was kind of insulting. It was kind of ridiculous. All they did was scoop <laughs> take a scoop of Manhattan and New England and put it together. And I was like, it wasn't even good. I'm like, this, it's not really like a thing that's catching on. It was just, I found I was, online. I was going to ask you what and where the restaurant was, but now I don't know if we should share it. I don't want to like mix it. <laughs> it was just, it was lousy. But it made me think like, wait, I, I can, there's something here. I can make this better. I, I bet you I can. And I went home and I created my own kind of homemade version of it. And it was phenomenal. Like I couldn't believe how delicious it was. And then I realized, wait a minute, like this is really like, 
this is like in the spirit of Connecticut. It's like where Connecticut sits, like it's this state, you know, that's kind of right, like the fusion between like Western Connecticut's more New York, Eastern uh, mm-hmm. Connecticut's more like New England. It's like sits right in between. And like, you know, if you go to Connecticut on the South Shore, they serve a lot of Manhattan and a lot of New England. They serve both. So like I kind of gave it to Connecticut, but kind of put my homemade twist on it. And it's really delicious. It's a pink, it's the color pink from fusing the red of, of mm-hmm. um Manhattan with with the cream and I know it sounds weird but it's really quite delicious. Sounds and delicious. That is so creative. I love that because <laughs> Connecticut well, is perfectly the fusion of Manhattan and New England. So yeah, that's yeah. and it gets forgotten so a lot, cool. you know. Yeah, no. like people they, people like in New England does. they often don't think of Connecticut. Well, you know, from where we are from New England there. Connecticut is the the state that's in our way when we're driving south on 95, right? It's like the longest stretch of 95 that is just horrible. <laughs> so that's how we look at Connecticut because yeah, we never- just see it behind a windshield, right? Yeah. If you're going to Vermont yep. or Hampshire, you're driving 91. If you're going to like anywhere else north, you're taking 95 out of yeah. Connecticut. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. just trying to get through it and it's long and you got to just get past it. That, that's sorry funny to our Connecticut it, listeners. I do yeah, love sorry, the South Shore of but I'm trying to give I try to give yes, a little respect this is and love yeah, to Connecticut. A gift to you. You have a soup. You, you got a soup now. <laughs> <laughs> it, it actually, it's funny because it, it stirs another soup war, which is the t- the tomato soup, creamy tomato soup or not, you know? So that's another. Yeah, this is the way to bring peace to the to the, to the different <laughs> factions. There's a meeting ground here. Listen, we, we are we are ending the food wars one soup at a time on this show, and I really <laughs> love it. Really excited. The book, again, is called New England Soups from the Sea by Craig Fear, and you can get it at fearlesseating.net. Also, super lucky to have your name and be able to create this this uh, blog. You were genius. Well done. So uh, awesome. You. What a cool name. <laughs> it was an interesting so cool. name to grow up with. Yeah. Oh, kind I can of imagine. name for my blog, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it's perfect. It's perfect. It's a great way to use to use it. Well done. Do you have anything else that you want to get out while you have the platform? Oh, boy. What else should I should I just have been more prepared for that? Um, If you want to sign up for my newsletter, you know, I'm always kind of posting new recipes and sharing new content. And I, you know, this this whole soup niche thing is totally by accident, but been totally fun. I never thought I'd be writing my third soup cookbook. And I I have (laughs) all sorts of ideas for like different things I might want to do in the future. So you want to stay in touch, you can find my newsletter, sign up on my blog and I'm on Instagram at Fearless Eating and Facebook at Fearless Eating as well. So yeah, I would love to uh, stay connected with with more people out there. That's great. That was my last question Beautiful. is how can people get in contact with you if they if they want to right. talk with you? Yeah. And I'm guessing social media and uh, and your your blog is probably the best way to do that, right? Yep, definitely. Awesome. And it's fearlesseating.net, not .com. Some people okay. get that confused. So well, we'll make sure to put a link in the show notes. So if you're confused great. about it, just go to our show notes. It'll be in there for sure. Mm-hmm. Maddie, do you have anything else that you want to say before we wrap up? Just thank you so much for coming on. And it's not lunchtime yet, but I'm starving. I know. And also, I'm really excited to get my dad this book because he's a lifelong New England man. And I just feel like he's going to, and he also loves cooking. So this is like the perfect book for him. I'm really excited. It's funny. I've been thinking the same thing, Maddie. I'm like, my mother-in-law would go crazy for this. I'm going to have to get it. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Craig, thanks again. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Great. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Folks, that was our conversation with Craig Fear from Fearless Eating. I really hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something about soup. I hope you're happy that we uh, found some solutions to the um, the origin and solution to the chowder wars. And I hope you're feeling a little bit better and a little less hostile about your, your preferred type of chowder. Like we said in the beginning and during the episode, Craig's book is coming out on March 8th. It's called New England Soups from the Sea. 
It's full of 80 recipes that are going to be all delicious, I'm sure, and we're going to want to try them all. Click the link in the show notes to go pre-order that book so you can get it as soon as it comes out. Or if you're listening after March 8th, those links will still be valid. You can get it anywhere that you buy books or go to his blog, and he'll have links to all the places there. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you're subscribed to Aquademia wherever you get your podcasts so you can get every new episode as soon as it's available. And make sure you're following us on Twitter at AquademiaPod. And if you have any ideas or questions, you can get in touch with us at our website, globalseafood.org slash podcast. And lastly, make sure you leave us a rating and reviews. It really helps us out. and We really appreciate everyone that's done that. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Bye. Ciao.